Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, consistently rated the best and most secure Bitcoin exchange. Kraken puts the power in your hands to buy and sell Bitcoin. With 24-7, 365, world-class customer service, you can trust Kraken to support you, whoever you are, wherever you are. Available at kraken.com or via the mobile app, which is available on the Apple and Android app stores. Just search for Kraken Pro, which is K-R-A-K-E-N-P-R-O. I've spent the last few months looking into the life of Ghislaine Maxwell, the former lover of Jeffrey Epstein, who's accused of being an accomplice in his crimes. I wanted to look at the two men that dominated so much of her life, her father, who was her rock for the first three decades of her life, and Epstein, who was instrumental in so many of the decisions she made in the following three decades. I set out to debunk many of the conspiracy theories that are associated with Epstein and his circle in order to build an accurate picture of what really happened. Conspiracy theorists tend to take two and two and make five, joining the dots with supposition rather than fact or evidence. And while there are some theories I find doubtful, there are others I found to be credible. But most importantly, I wanted to know what Ghislaine's role was in all of this. A victim? A willing accomplice? Or even the orchestrator of it all? Ghislaine Maxwell prided herself on her extensive list of influential contacts, and Epstein, philanthropist and philanderer, knew the A-list of global finance and politics. Yet in making this series, so few people would talk to me about them, about this case, about their history, their finances, their relationship. Epstein directly employed dozens, if not hundreds of people, and left a trail of destruction with the young girls he abused. Yet still, there was so much secrecy, so much silence, so much fear. My research and the conversations I did have with those that knew Epstein and Ghislaine left me with more questions than answers. There are still so many rocks I've not yet had time to look under, and paths I haven't yet been down. But I expect this case will go on for some time yet, as there's a lot more to come out. Not just with Ghislaine's trial in July of 2021, but when investigators look into Epstein's more recent complex financial dealings. What will happen to his estate? And what will happen to Darren Endike and Richard Kahn, co-executors of Epstein's will, who've been intimately involved in Epstein's finances and are thought to be the ones that hold all of his secrets. And what about his brother Mark, whose own finances are not only plentiful, but mysterious and connected to Epstein's? Not only did they have many shared investments, the new businesses of Epstein's named co-conspirators, Sarah Kellen and Nadia Marchinkova, that were established after they left Epstein's employment, were registered to a building Mark Epstein owned. And what if Epstein's client Wexner's financials get subpoenaed and we find out what really happened with that relationship? This story is far from over and the diligent work of journalists, lawyers and prosecutors will likely keep this story alive for many years, hopefully revealing the truth of what happened. But in this final part of Ghislaine, I'm going to wrap up with some of my thoughts and address some of the questions that still remain unclear. I'm Tom Pattinson, and this is Episode 7 of Ghislaine for Defiance. This story has been wrapped in conspiracy after conspiracy. It's made me think a lot about what a conspiracy theory is, 
and how they emerge. A good conspiracy needs elements that don't quite add up, questions that have no answers, one coincidence too many, connections that shouldn't rationally be there. A conspiracy needs to be beyond the realm of normality, something big, a major story, assassination plots, secret global rulers, or scandalous affairs. They also need a generous sprinkling of glamour, sex, money, celebrity, and fame. We're drawn to scandal. We love stories that involve sex, however sordid, and we all lust after money. The human mind can't comprehend a question that has no answer. We need to connect the dots, even if that means taking huge leaps to get from one dot to the next. This isn't anything new. It's how religions were born, and how our moral compass originated. What happens after death? God takes you to hang out with all your old dead relatives, or he gives you 72 virgins to play with, depending on which religion you pick. That sudden illness that struck down the little village in the 17th century was blamed on the newly widowed old lady, not the drunken farmer who confused the well for the toilet. We need answers to every question, and without a clear answer, we'll instead guess or jump to a conclusion that fits with what we want it to be. If we don't know the truth, then we simply make up the truth. The internet is dominated by platforms where conspiracy theorists are rewarded with likes and follows for declaring absolute truths whilst lacking any evidence at all. In this case, we have all the elements to make a conspiracy. Both Epstein's mysterious life and his sudden death leaves us with so many unanswered questions. He intentionally tried to be a mystery. Whether he did this because he was actually doing illegal or nefarious work, or whether he thought it was a good line to seduce women, we don't know. But he helped sow confusion by being very secretive about his work and personal life. The private jets and island took him out of the realm of normality, and the presidents, princes and Hollywood stars all added to this glamour. Plus, of course, there was no shortage of sex in this story. Then, of course, in this case, you have people with motives... Motives to create a narrative that fits their cause. There's revenge. People who may have been physically abused, mentally abused, sexually abused. People who've ended up broke or even in jail because of Epstein. There's fear. I'm sure there are some wealthy people around the world who nervously pick up the paper each morning, hoping not to see their names. And there's greed. All those people right now fighting hard to get their hands on a piece of Epstein's $600 million estate. Victims, relatives, former business partners and Ghislaine herself all will tell a different version of the story based on their motives and they'll want that story to be the one that sticks to redeem themselves, to validate their claims or simply to enrich themselves. And of course most people who might be involved in this sordid tale have decided that the best course of action is just to shut up and keep quiet so that they can't be implicated in anything. There are hundreds of people involved in this story in one way or another, and most we've still not heard from. Perhaps it's because they don't want to be associated with one of the most prolific abusers of our generation. Maybe they've something to hide, or perhaps it's because they're scared. Then there's the partisan politics of it all. People who either love or hate Trump or Clinton, who've forgotten how to look at things objectively without their political agenda, causing a conscious or unconscious bias and can't tell a story without bringing politics into it. With all the conspiracies out there, 
I want to focus on what I believe are the four key issues with this story. Did Epstein kill himself? Where did his money come from? Was he the centre of a major paedophile ring? And what was Ghislaine's role in all of this? Firstly, let's deal with Epstein's death and the conspiracy that he didn't kill himself. An article published on the 9th of July 2019, just three days after his arrest, written by a friend of Epstein's, claimed that he was in the final stages of a deal which said Epstein will agree to cooperate with investigators, including giving up the names of individuals that paid for activities with underage girls in exchange for a maximum sentence not to exceed five years. Exactly a month later, thousands of pages of documents were released that heaped further evidence of Epstein's involvement in the sexual abuse of minors. The next day, he was found dead in his jail cell. Disgraced financier Jeffrey Epstein is dead. Epstein took his own life while he was behind bars here in New York City facing charges of sex trafficking. He had torn up the sheets from his bedding and hanged himself. He was on suicide watch and was meant to be checked on every 30 minutes. He wasn't. He was meant to be monitored by cameras. He wasn't. He was meant to have a cellmate. He didn't. His dead body was meant to be photographed in situ and the situation treated like a crime scene. It wasn't. It was the first death in the Metropolitan Correction Centre in 14 years. The guards on duty were later charged with multiple counts of conspiracy and record falsification. The internet went into overdrive and quickly the public consensus was that he had been murdered with the meme Epstein didn't kill himself becoming firmly embedded in the public arena. Although the New York medical examiner ruled it death by hanging, his brother and his lawyers hired a private pathologist who challenged that. New reports are fueling the mystery around the death of Jeffrey Epstein. Epstein apparently had several broken neck bones, including the hyoid bone. Uh, it can be broken by suicide, but it's more commonly associated with murder by strangulation. Attorney General William Barr, however, said it was a perfect storm of screw-ups. 45% of Americans believe Epstein was murdered, and only 16% believed the official ruling of suicide. The theory that nearly half of Americans believe is that someone came in whilst the guard was elsewhere and the camera was not working and strangled him to death, making it look like suicide. Some have claimed that he wasn't in fact dead when he was taken out of jail, but it was faked to look like he'd died. And one claim is that he cloned himself and that it was actually his clone that was killed whilst he sits on a beach in South America. Rather fantastical, perhaps, but Epstein did have investments in DNA data and claimed to have a cloning facility in Mexico. Epstein's brother Mark and his lawyers have claimed that Epstein wasn't depressed. If he'd been given a life sentence, they said, then perhaps he might have killed himself, but he hadn't even been sentenced at the time of his death. But actually, people I spoke to said that Epstein was depressed in the run-up to his death. I've also seen emails sent days before his arrest where he's despondent and monosyllabic. Weeks earlier, on July the 23rd, he had attempted suicide in jail, of which the video evidence has now come to light, showing a death row murderer reviving Epstein. And the claims that Attorney General Barr visited Epstein in jail in the days or weeks before his death have been proven to be false.
Furthermore, although some cameras were not working in the jail on the night of his death, others were, and they show that no one came into his cell that night. Whilst his death looks suspicious, I don't believe someone came into his cell and killed him. I think he committed suicide by hanging. I think he knew the game was up, that it was all too much, too humiliating, and he would be spending the rest of his life in prison, and that life as he knew it was over, and he decided to end it all. Perhaps someone had encouraged him to kill himself, however, in a mistaken attempt to end the story and draw a line under it. Just a quiet whisper in his ear. It's okay, Jeffrey. You won't have much. It'll be best for everyone. Secondly, where did all his money come from? I've spent much of this series looking at Epstein's work and his finances, because I believe that if you follow the money trail, you'll find the answers. It's been suggested that there were financial links between Robert Maxwell, Ghislaine's father, and Epstein, dating back to the 1980s, and that after Maxwell's death, Ghislaine may have helped move money from her father's estate to the US via Epstein. I don't think it was necessarily the missing £450 million from the Mirror Pension Pot, but I think there could be some truth to this. I'm fairly convinced that Ghislaine and Epstein did know each other before Robert Maxwell's death. Although he never lived in the UK, Epstein did spend time here, building his connections, and he got to know some of the wealthiest and most influential families in the country. This included, that I know of, the Lease family, the Goldsmith family, and the Rothschild family. He often used the children, who were about the same age, to get to know them. So it's not beyond the realms of possibility that he also met the Maxwell family too, either through the newly single and very social Ghislaine, or through a business link to her father Robert directly. Epstein was advising on investments and moving money for at least some of these families. And all of them had a lot of money, so may have taken a chance on this young financial whisked. We know that these families were involved in a variety of industries, ranging from defence contracting to finance to media. And I'm very confident that Robert Maxwell was working with intelligence agencies and doing some deals that were, if not entirely illegal, then certainly ethically questionable. It's been claimed he was laundering Israeli arms money, as well as laundering for other nation-states and despots. So asking Epstein to help in that would also be believable, considering the company Epstein would keep later in his life. Perhaps Maxwell gave him a shot at helping him launder some money. Maybe some of those funds were in Epstein's hands when Maxwell died, and perhaps Ghislaine went to him to retrieve it. Or perhaps Ghislaine knew where her father's emergency fund was hidden, and needed Epstein to help her get it out of its hiding place. Some people have told me Ghislaine is the brains behind Epstein, that she was heavily involved in not just his sexual exploits, but his financial dealings too. I'm sure he used her to access some of the wealthy figures we've come across in this series. I'm sure she was charming and socially adventurous and able to open many doors for him. But the brains? I don't think so. So maybe he got some seed capital from the Maxwell family. He got some from the Lee's family too. We know that he did work for them after all. And perhaps there were some other wealthy families and clients he worked with and earned some money from. But I don't think it was any one family, client or project he made his money from until the 1990s. 
This is where we know he was working with Hoffenberg at Towers Financial. Towers was essentially a debt collection agency, which became a Ponzi scheme. Hoffenberg claims Epstein was instrumental in setting up that Ponzi scheme. And because of what we know now, I wouldn't be surprised if he was. I do think Hoffenberg is a crook, and I don't believe most of what he says. I think Hoffenberg was fully aware that he was creating a Ponzi scheme, but that doesn't mean I think Epstein was clean. He may well have been the brains behind it too. Hoffenberg claims Epstein and his unnamed co-conspirators took $100 million from Towers. I don't think it was necessarily that much, but I wouldn't be surprised if Epstein walked away with some of those ill-gotten gains. Don't forget, Epstein lied to or stole from everyone he worked with. He lied to the school to get a job, cheated at Bear Stearns Bank, stole from Lease, stole from Hoffenberg, and then he stole from Les Wexner. Somewhere in this mix of early relationships is where he likely started building his financial empire. It's when Epstein started managing Wexner's money during the 1990s his wealth really started to grow. He took over his Manhattan mansion, and Wexner himself claims he stole nearly $50 million from him. Then there are all the people that we're only now learning that were clients of Epstein. Leon Black, for example, invested $50 million with Epstein. And Epstein's claim that he only managed the money of billionaires implies that there are others, like Black, to come out of the woodwork. Plus then, the arms dealers and drug runners, like Adnan Khashoggi, who he claimed was a client, and other oligarchs, dictators and international criminals who he may well have been working for, that won't appear on any rich lists, and who made it their job, for both them and their finances, to remain hidden. Everyone told me Epstein was a financial genius. Jeffrey sees patterns, I heard over and over again. Patterns that no one else could see. He was good at puzzles and finding things out. He could look at an organisation and see what was wrong, said one friend. Wexner even said that he was good at seeing patterns in politics and financial markets. These important people saw something in Epstein that meant they trusted him with their money. And we're not just talking about one or two people here. There were quite a few rich and very smart characters who he conned over several decades. There will likely be more revelations about what he did to clean up people's money, but we know that it, more often than not, involved currency trading and money markets to make money, and foundations and charities to hide it. I believe it was this financial genius that got him his light sentence in 2008, when he was given a deal of just 13 months for crimes that should have seen him sentenced for decades. A deal that was later deemed illegal and cost Alex Acosta, the man who approved Epstein's plea deal, his job. Acosta said the deal was done because Epstein was intelligent and above Acosta's pay grade. From the people I've spoken to, I don't believe this was necessarily because he was going to report on which influential people might have been dropping their pants in front of young girls. I think it was because he struck a deal with the FBI to help them unravel some of the complex money laundering systems of international and domestic criminals, whether they be arms dealers, international terrorists, or simply tax dodgers. The FBI would be grateful for Epstein's expertise in finding funds that might have gone missing, or perhaps tipping them off if a wealthy criminal approached him to help launder their funds. After all, he always wanted to be a spy. I think it's more likely that he would have been used for his financial brain, his knowledge of where some of the world's richest hid their money, 
rather than for any sordid videos he may have acquired. However, like Robert Maxwell, I would also have thought if he was working with the FBI on financial crimes, he would have also been working with the Israelis, either Mossad or more likely directly with the senior government. This may have been on intelligence gathering or compromat collection, as Ari Ben Menashe and others might think, but again, I would have thought it would have been more about using his money and the money of his clients to fund Israeli defense and research projects. Most likely, projects involving DNA collection and data mining, the arms race of the 21st century, and industries we know Epstein was both personally interested in and financially invested in. The next chapter of this story that is yet to be told will be about his more recent financial past, Epstein's business dealings of the last decade. We've seen in recent weeks that Leon Black, a long-time associate of Epstein, paid his company $50 million between 2012 and 2017 via offshore banks and charitable foundations. And I'm sure he will not be the last to have to admit to using Epstein's money-moving expertise after he was put on the sex offenders register. I can only investigate so far. I can only talk to people and ask them questions. I don't have the power to subpoena financial records or release sealed court documents. However, there are people who are doing an excellent job working on exactly that, and I'm sure in the coming weeks and months we will see more. The Attorney General of the Virgin Islands, Denise George, is investigating the bank that Epstein set up in the Virgin Islands. The Southern Country International Bank is still a mystery yet to be understood. The bank was set up in 2014, but didn't seem to have any clients or do any business. That was until after Epstein died, when more than $12 million was moved into the bank. We eagerly await Denise George's investigation as to who has access to that bank and why it's only now being used after his death. And there will be internal investigations from JP Morgan and Deutsche Bank that may or may not become public. These major investment banks allowed Epstein not just to bank with them for years, but also borrow extensively, even after he was convicted of soliciting children for prostitution. And questions were asked about money laundering due to the type of clients he had and the financial movements he made. We will also learn more about Epstein's $600 million estate and the two co-executors of that estate, Darren Endike and Richard Kahn. These two have intimate knowledge of Epstein's financial dealings and presumably have power of attorney over his estate, meaning they may well be the ones moving money into his bank as well as various other bank accounts in a bid to hide it before any of his victims, or even Ghislaine, who is also suing Epstein's estate, get their hands on any of it. I don't think Epstein was an arms dealer. I don't think that he was a spy. But I do think it incredibly likely that he was working with some intelligence groups, probably the Israelis, possibly the FBI, and less likely the CIA. Not to mention working with many other people who were willing to leave their morals at the door. I think he was using his financial expertise to launder money, or at the very least to evade tax on behalf of his clients. And I think it's very likely that his expertise was seized upon by the FBI or the US authorities after he was arrested to help them. I think he was also moonlighting for the Israelis 
doing a similar thing Robert Maxwell was doing, moving money around for Mossad or for senior government officials to aid Israel. Or perhaps, more simply, finding funds for Israeli projects. No longer necessarily moving the profits of arms trades, but still working with branches of the military. We know he was invested with the former president and the head of their cyber intelligence unit on a data company. And we know he had a strong interest in transhumanism, the science of improving the human population through technologies like genetic engineering and artificial intelligence. Again, sectors he was heavily invested in. And finally, I believe he made a lot of money because he was lucky. It's much easier to make money if you have money. As they say, making your first million is always the hardest. If he had amassed, or stolen, a few tens of millions in the 1990s and invested it wisely, then he could easily have turned that into hundreds of millions over three decades. For example, we know he gave $33 million of Apple shares to Wexner's foundation, YLK, stock that rose 2,000% between the 1990s and 2000s, and has risen an incredible 43,000% between the 90s and today. So what about the paedophile ring? Epstein didn't ever deny his love of younger girls. Technically, he wasn't actually a paedophile, which is the sexual interest in prepubescent girls, but he was, in fact, an aphebophile, someone who has a sexual interest in post-pubescent girls, usually between the ages of 14 and 18. He claimed that if they were physiologically able to bear children, then why should an arbitrary law determine what they could or couldn't do sexually? In the US, the age of consent is 18, but in the UK it's 16, and in France, where he had a home, they only just set the age of consent to 15 two years ago. Before that, there was no age of consent. Epstein, possibly with his lawyers and Ghislaine, even drafted an essay about why it shouldn't be illegal to have sex with post-pubescent girls. But that essay was never published, and it seems, as he got older, the girls Epstein liked got younger. When he was younger and living in New York, there weren't a lot of young girls. I could see it progressing as he got older, more powerful, more money, one of Epstein's friends told Mother Jones. But were Ghislaine and Epstein the centre of a global paedophile ring? Well, we already know they sort of were. We've heard from girls who claim they were recruited, abused, transported, trafficked, and passed around or sourced to others in Epstein's circle. Dan Kaiser, attorney for one of Epstein's victims, said that Ghislaine was integral in maintaining the sex trafficking ring. She provided important administrative services in terms of the hiring of recruits, and management of those employees, the making of appointments and dates for interactions between Mr. Epstein and the underage girls that were providing sexual services to him. She also maintained the ring by intimidating girls by ensuring their silence. Maria Farmer, one of Epstein's victims, said Ghislaine brought in a stream of young teenage girls to Epstein's New York mansion and was key in making me feel safe. I trusted her because she's a woman she would make us trust her. She'd make us really care about her. She was so dangerous. Ghislaine controlled the girls, said Sarah Ransom, another alleged victim. She would be the one getting all the girls in check. She knew what Jeffrey liked. This was very much a joint effort. Ghislaine was a shark, 
Julie, a friend of Epstein's, who used an alias when talking to Mother Jones, said, Anything you read about her that's positive isn't true. She's a scary woman. The picture that Virginia drew of Ghislaine? I completely believe what she wrote. We know both Epstein and Ghislaine used the model scout technique. Approaching girls outside schools, on the street or elsewhere, and handing over a card claiming to be scouts for a model agency or for Victoria's Secrets. Les Wexner, Epstein's main client in the 1990s, is the owner of Victoria's Secrets. And one of Epstein and Ghislaine's friends was Jean-Luc Brunel, owner of model agency MC Squared, which Epstein was invested in. Brunel has also been widely accused of being a sex trafficker, a rapist, and an abuser of underage girls. I believe Epstein used the girls as a commodity to ingratiate himself with powerful people, like some might use Cuban cigars or a fine brandy. When attempting to close a deal or befriend a senior official, Epstein would put on a display of young, beautiful girls for the pleasure of his contacts. Walking into one of Epstein's properties, guests may have been met with half a dozen topless models, alongside the fine wines and sweetened dates that were presented all for the guests' pleasure. Not all of these women have accused Epstein of abuse. Many were there for the perks, the trips on private jets, the tropical island holidays, the luxury shopping trips. But Epstein thought this was his way to the top. It was a tactic he always used, chatting up the girls, who would then introduce him to their wealthy or influential fathers or friends. And it was a tactic he carried on all of his life. When bored at dinner parties, sometimes he would bluntly ask guests if they were getting much pussy. And he would say to his friends who were new in town, what are you doing for pussy? Most of those friends would reply that they were fine, thanks, or that they were married. But some of those friends might have been less overt in their refusal, to put it mildly. Some might have simply enjoyed a cocktail on a yacht brought over by a topless model, but others might have accepted his offer and ended up in a situation like Prince Andrew found himself in, accused of sleeping with one of Epstein's sex-trafficked girls. I think Clinton fell into that first category. After the trouble his affair with Monica Lewinsky caused, I think it's unlikely he would do that again. Clinton does have a reputation, and one that might be warranted, but none of the dozens of girls who've named other influential people, including princes, have named Clinton. Clinton did fly on Epstein's plane many times. He spent a lot of the four years between 2002 and 2006 with Epstein, and Epstein did donate money to Bill Clinton's campaign. But Epstein also donated to the campaigns of George W. Bush and Bob Dole. Epstein's foundation, COUQ, also donated to the Clinton Foundation, $25,000. But Epstein donated much more to many other foundations, charities and institutions. He donated $9.1 million to Harvard, for example, and over $40 million to the Wexner Foundation. He also donated to police departments, high schools and many other charities. I spoke to two people who Epstein offered financial support to, to help with the medical care of their children. However, the story of why Epstein and Trump fell out after a 14-year friendship that was so close that Epstein claims he introduced the president to his current wife is a story that many will be looking forward to hearing. 
Was Epstein blackmailing some of the influential people who might have had a foot rub, a massage or something more alongside Epstein at one of his homes or on the Lolita Express? I don't think he was using classic blackmail techniques of demanding cash to keep footage or images secret. But we know he did have cameras hidden in many places. Whether that was for his own perverse viewing pleasure or something more, we don't know. It's not out of the realm of possibility that there is footage out there of some of these people engaged in sex acts with minors, but if that existed, I would have thought that some of that would have been leaked by now. I think more than direct blackmail, he used the girls to forge relationships with these people. Maybe he would provide them with a girl for an evening, and then remind them of that night, when talking about a new investment scheme, or when he needed a favour. Maybe he'd seal a deal with a trip to his island. The girls have already named lawyers and politicians, billionaires and even princes, so I can't imagine there are that many big names still to come out. And now we come to Ghislaine. Just last week, hundreds of pages of documents were released in relation to Virginia roberts Jeffrey's defamation case against her from 2015. We didn't learn a lot we didn't already know, but the key takeaway for me is how unhelpful, how rude, how contemptuous Ghislaine was. You don't ask me questions like that. First of all, you're trying to trap me. I will not be trapped. You're asking me if I recruit. I told you no, she said. She argued against the court continuously, claiming not to understand, claiming not to remember, claiming everything was lies and claiming she couldn't tell the difference between a 13-year-old and an adult. So I'm not sure she is going to roll over and tell all next summer when her case comes to trial. It just doesn't feel like the kind of thing a person like Ghislaine would do. I believe the time that she spent out of the limelight last year, she was preparing her insurance policy. I think she was pulling in every last contact she had, looking at her options, warning some people perhaps, begging others. She had the ability, the finances, the passports and the contacts to leave the country. She could have stayed in one of many countries without extradition treaties with the US, but she didn't. I think she chose not to spend the rest of her life on the run, so instead she walked into the hands of the FBI, knowing that the information she had on her influential contacts would protect her, would get her a deal, or would even get her into witness protection. But that might have backfired. She arrogantly thought she could buy or talk her way out of custody. Her friendship with Clinton or Prince Andrew would keep her living in a five-star hotel whilst waiting for trial, like she had planned, rather than on a bare mattress, in paper clothes, in a jail cell, as she is today. Perhaps, after the failure to prosecute Epstein the first time, and the failure to see the case go to trial, prosecutors lulled Ghislaine back with promises of deals and bail but in fact pounced, and now she'll face the full wrath of both of their crimes. Will she go down kicking and screaming, taking down a president or two, and burning the British royal family in her wake? Or will she keep very quiet, loyal to those powerful friends who validated her very existence, and spend the rest of her days silently rotting in jail, and leave us to guess what really went on in the life of Jeffrey Epstein 
and Ghislaine Maxwell. This show was written and narrated by myself, Tom Pattinson. Additional production and sound design was by Danny Knowles, and Peter McCormack was the executive producer. I'd like to thank all of the people I've spoken to on and off the record in the research of this series, and also to the journalists at the many publications that I've used in my research. Special thanks to those at the Miami Herald, the New York Times, Vanity Fair and Mother Jones, and many, many others who furnish me with reams of incredible information to try to learn from. However, any and all mistakes made are entirely my own work. Support for Defiance comes from Kraken, the best and safest place to buy and sell Bitcoin, available at kraken.com, or you can download the app from the Apple or Google App Stores. I'm Tom Pattinson. Head over to defiance.news, where you can download previous shows and watch our films.